Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another exciting episode of Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists in the world today. It has been said, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are so many good games out there that you can be spending your hobby time on or your hobby dollars. I mean, it's hard to know which way to look. Um, so that's what we talk about on this show. We talk about industry events uh, in the gaming world. We talk about games that my guests and I have been enjoying and just talking about hobbying in general. Now, uh, some of you may be listening to this and saying, hmm, Brad sounds a little different this week. Uh, I, have, <clears throat> um, I have been a slacker in the last couple of months and I have not been wearing my overnight uh, braces and my teeth have shifted. So I'm wearing braces to shift them back to where they should be. Um, which means that I will probably be lisping in this episode. Uh, I am sorry. I should have that fixed soon. Um, but a man who is not lisping and is someone who has been referenced on many podcasts, I'm not sure he actually, weirdly, if he's been listed on this one. Um, but if you've ever listened to one of my favorite podcasts from Malifaux, uh, Unfocast, you will hear this man's name maybe every episode, or if not every other episode. Um, one of the most righteous, badass, nice guys of wargaming himself, I would like to welcome Jermaine to Cast Dice. Jermaine, welcome. Hey, g'day, mate. G'day. Thank you for having me, bro. Oh, man. You are my kind of gamer. And I, I know that I usually go on these long-winded uh, introductions, and I kind of cut yours short because I kind of wanted to get you in to talk about why I'm having you on. Besides as a guy like me who likes to play a lot of different games, um, you have a phenomenal attitude towards gaming. Um, you, uh, you're renowned as being like the nice guy who, you know, does well, but you, you take the game seriously. I know that sometimes, especially in a competitive world, um, being seen as someone who's nice or who gets good sports votes or gets sports awards, those people are often seen as, oh, I don't know, um, in the nicest way possible, deficient on the, on the gaming table. Like they're not taking it seriously. <laughs> Um, and as someone who's won Australia's largest Warhammer 40,000 tournament a million years ago, and at the same time, in the same year, at the same event, won best sports, um, I think it's important that people at the top table aren't massive jerkwads, um, that you can have a good time and still win. And you are someone who exemplifies that as well. So um, I know I kind of just threw a lot of words out, um, but what do you think about that? Oh, thank you very much. It's really flattering. Uh, it's really, really flattering. And uh, my point of view is um, I really like the fact that when, when people do play me on the tabletop, they enjoy the experience uh, as right. much as I'm enjoying it. So um, that's probably the most important thing for me, and, and that's why I'm doing the hobby. Um, it's not just the painting aspect, but it's the social aspect of uh, getting together, having a game, and, and having a bit of a giggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I got to say, I I hate having negative game experiences. I don't like having the feel badsies when I play people. Um, and I yeah. don't like it when people, you know, I, I like to have a good serious game sometimes, like really get, you know, think something through uh, and, you know, really take it seriously. Um, but not always. And I know that different people like to play different ways. And that's totally cool. If you, if I know, um, thinking about, I walked through an Age of Sigmar event yesterday and I was looking at some of the people and, you know, 
uh, Nick Cohen, who's been on the show before, aka Ginger Thunder, the um, one of the dwellers. When you play him, he tends to be straight down the line, really poker faced, plays right. the game. And if I play him, I kind of adopt that. But by the same token, I'm still having a good time, and so is he. So, but it's not like you know being aggressive and having walked yeah. through a you know quite a few game stores recently some game system seems to you know bring out some aggression i guess more than others and i just want to have fun right yeah i think so there, there are definitely some game systems that lend itself definitely more towards um having a more hyper competitive uh stance on a game i i think i think any game where um uh, not pre-measuring uh you are going to get uh, a bit competitive if there's lack thereof uh the pre-measuring i found that's normally uh a barometer for it mm. we'll talk more about that because i agree but stretch that out for people who may not understand what you mean um so games where you can't pre-measure i've found uh to be a little bit more on the serious land if, if that makes any sense mm-hmm. um I've gone completely blank now, but uh, you know, a game like Age of Sigma, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, where where pre measuring is fine. Uh, but uh, again, the Age of Sigma rules are a little bit different, and they're uh, sort of more leaning towards a, a fluffy kind mm-hmm. of playstyle. Um, is it is it is it War Machine or War Hordes? I don't want to offend anyone. I've never played this yeah. game. I must yeah. admit, but, I think it's both. Um, uh, but I know this game is very, 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 very competitive. Um, and I guess not just due to your, your lack of uh, pre-measuring. I think mm. you can't pre-measure that game. I'm not sure, to be honest. Not sure. <laughs> I, that's one well, of the some... few big games that I haven't played. Um, and me so, too. yeah, I, that's why I rely on uh, people like Lee Avery to come talk to me about it. And I go, yeah, me know. too. Yeah, yeah. Something, um, something like Infinity, where you can't pre-measure, yeah. um, that can get very, very serious very, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amazing models, but uh, very, very serious game, um, and and one where you've, it's one of those games where if you don't play Infinity once a week, um, it's it's gonna it's gonna kind of get tough because a lot of things in that game change. Uh, the hacking rules in themselves are uh, a sort of a tome uh, mm-hmm. within itself. And I do like a game that has some nice deep mechanics, but there are games that sort of fall off the deep end. Uh, for me, a game like that was Malifaux, where you know the rules themselves were fairly basic, um, but the second you get into every model subtly breaks the rules in and of its own right, and there are <laughs> that many models, and all of them change the rules in more than one way, that's where I get lost. Um, and you're someone who played a lot of foe. So was that sort of your uh, impression of that game as well? I did. I did. I uh, second. I, I got in just, I think, at the start of second edition Malifaux. Uh, absolutely loved the game. I was, I was caught by that old hook of you only need a few models. <laughs> um, Lies. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Mr. Pip, uh, mm-hmm. the, the henchman at the time here in the western suburbs. You only need a few models, apparently. Uh, so I bought into it. And I think in about six months, I had every model in the guild. Um, <laughs> That's a lot of models for those who don't know. It's 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 a lot of models and a lot of them painted too. I think uh, my guild and my reses um, are almost two very fully painted. So, uh, but yeah, look, uh, as, as you're saying, I did find Malifaux as one of those games. Simple rule set. 
Um, but I think it has to be simple because every model kind of can break that rule set or have a variation of that rule set or sort of dip its toe into being able to kind of break this rule and mm -hmm. negate this. Uh, so a large portion of it I found with Malifaux was, was having to learn your crew, not so much the base rules, but what your crew actually done. Um, the way they synergize with each other was a big one, um, or else you can go out there uh, and just literally get face stomped if you don't know what your crew does. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's one of those games where upon first glance, you look at a model and you think, yeah, this isn't too great. This stat line's kind of underwhelming. Uh, and then you match it up with another model. Um, mm -hmm. That world and you go, oh, that's, oh, that's how that works together. And then you line it up with another model and another model. And all of a sudden, you know, the synergies <laughs> come out. Um, it's a game and... And I do love Malifaux. I love the universe. I love the aesthetic. It's got such a quirky, fun feel to it. Um, but what's interesting is for having such a quirky, fun universe, um, it the, the gameplay leads to a lot of gotcha moments where your opponent like springs a trap that maybe you don't see. And I, I don't know. I, I don't particularly enjoy being... <laughs> I don't enjoy gotching people, nor do I really sure. enjoy being got. Um, I think it feels it leads to a lot of feel badsies. Um, and I was listening to a couple of Age of Sigmar podcasts, and they were talking about the idea at at the masters level. You know, masters events. I have my own opinion of that, which I won't go into. Um, but they were talking about if you are at that level of event, if you are playing competitively. Um, in the in the top tier, so to speak, you need to sort of declare your intention as you move things, and especially in a game where in it like Age of Sigmar, where you can pre-measure everything. You say, "I'm going to move my dudes here because I'm going to do this." Now, are you giving away your grand plan? No, uh, I mean you still have your own sort of agenda that you're trying to achieve, but it leads to less of oh. So you're, are you within three inches of that thing or not within three inches of that objective? Yeah. Um, yep. And with foe, it was just constant whenever I played it. Um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And it was like, <laughs> part of that was I'm a noob and I suck. But part of that was the game inherently did that. Um, and I, I think I like the latter of just, you know, people talking through what they're going to do. Um, so I know what's coming, um, and I can, you know, I think it leads to a better game experience. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And Malifaux is one of those ones where if you've never seen the other person's master in play or if you've never seen yeah. particular yeah. models, um, you are going to get those gotcha moments where they're going to come up and go, I can do this. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. And it does lead to kind of, Right. Okay. Now I know what that master does. Um, particularly if you if you have a gaming group, um, you know, five or six guys that you normally game with, um, and everyone's using a particular master, and then you do go to a tournament and face something you've never seen across the board, mm -hmm. uh, there is a high chance in Malifaux you are going to get that. Oh, I didn't know it does that. Right. <laughs> and, you're just, and you're just removing a model, or uh, your opponent is rolling around in his victory points. Mm -hmm. um, and you are right. In something like Age of Sigma, uh, I just played a game yesterday with a good buddy of mine from work, Jaden, and um, it was very much, hey, mate, I'm moving this 10 inches away from this so that I'm three inches away from this character, and everything was very, okay, cool. There's going to be nothing there where I'm going to be surprised by what you've done uh, right. or, or what I'm about to do. 
So let's talk about Age of Sigmar a little bit, because I've been Age of Sigmar curious for a long time, since, I guess, since second edition came out. Um, a lot of the Dwellers guys, Dwellers Below, the podcast I was on a long time ago, um, are well in at this point, uh, and they are playing, and uh, one of them even had an event yesterday, of which I was painting an army for, but I was unfortunately not able to play because of family reasons. Um, and I might get to that in a little bit, but um, it's really... Uh, I'm I'm really digging the community and I'm digging the game itself. Um, I think GW has really gone, and I know we've talked about this in recent episodes. I never thought I'd say this, but GW has really turned it around, and they've really they're so community focused, um, and they're building up their community in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of people are complaining about the the 40k quote unquote meta and how the game lends itself to being broken, but if you leave 40k out of it. Um, look, a lot of people say Age of Sigmar maybe isn't a perfect game, um, but it's got a huge community and a lot of people who are having a lot of fun with it. And the way the game is built sort of lends itself to narrative style armies. Um, I know I just threw a lot at you, Jermaine, but what is your experience at, uh, with Age of Sigmar these days? Because I know you've played a fair bit yourself. I have, yeah, I have. I've recently, oh, not recently, I've probably been playing a lot of Age of Sigma over the last 12 months. Mm. Um, when when the new edition of, uh, well, when Age of Sigma did drop, um, I kind of didn't have any uh, any relationship to the game previous, so that was 8th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm, I'm kind of newish in the hobby, I think this... This March, I think I've been in the hobby for about five years. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I haven't played any of the older games. So I didn't have that relationship with 8th Ed. So I was um, pretty accepting of mm. Age of Sigma. And, and it still took me a while to, to grab an army, but uh, I ended up grabbing the Stormcast Eternals, uh, which I got teased for uh, mm-hmm. because of my love of Space Marines. Uh, I essentially picked up the same thing in Age of Sigma. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, yeah, but lately they've fleshed them out a little bit more in terms of novels, and the new battle tome uh, does a good job of giving these guys uh, some character, mm-hmm. which is good. So character-wise, in the new battle tome, they've mm-hmm. they've done a great job in in giving these guys a bit more character and making them <laughs> separate from Space Marines. And I actually think they're a lot more interesting than Space Marines, to tell you the truth. Really? And, um, yeah, yeah, I think so because they're. Essentially, they're, they're, every character is a hero uh, that's been plucked by Sigma just before their demise, and they get reforged into what we know as Sigmarites. And every time they do get reforged, every time they die and get reforged again, they lose a little bit of their old personality mm-hmm. to the point where some of these guys have been reforged so many times, they're essentially walking zombies. They're just they, – they're not themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. So – they, they, their stories can actually be quite deep because some of these guys embrace it, some of them don't, uh, which is very interesting in, in, in some of the novels. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to me, they're, they're a little bit more interesting. Um, Age of Sigma, mechanic-wise, I really like. And, and, and you're right, it's probably not the most balanced game in the world, but it's fun. It's yeah. fun. Every army plays fluffy the way they're meant to play. Uh I, I've I've been looking at a little bit of Iden of Deepkin, and I found Ooh. their rules to really play the way they sound in the book and their backstory. So mm. that's one thing I do love about Age of Sigma, and um, that and the gaming group that I've kind of got here in the Western suburbs. Everyone plays Age of Sigma, so that definitely plays into 
the appeal of games for me yeah. is what everyone else is playing so I can actually get a game. Yeah, exactly. There are so many great games out there that you don't have anyone to play with. Um, I'm really lucky. I know that there's a game, and we'll talk about this in a minute in a little more depth, but um, I've been playing some 7TV. Finally was able to get some games of that um, because of school holidays, and I was finally had time, and so we got some, I got my Cobra on the table um, versus, well, I'll get into that later, but I didn't necessarily have anyone to play with. I'm lucky enough to have the one and only Dave Monroe nearby. Um, and he loves a good game uh, and he loves yeah. to try new things. And so back when no one was playing Gaslands, I would play him. Um, when, yeah. you know, we played Car Wars together. We played Conflict 47 together. All these games that inter interested us together, we had someone to play with. And I don't necessarily need to have 100 player tournaments in a game in order to play it and enjoy it. Um, I think my time with Bolt Action when it was just starting out really gave me that all you need is a couple good games and it's worth it. Um, and if you have a good opponent who you can mix things up and have some games with, then it is worth it for me. Um, but having a big gaming group and having a vibrant scene, man, is it energizing, right? It is. It is. And in our little group uh, on, on Facebook chat, you know, more often than not, someone will, you know, paint up a model. And then that leads to someone else painting a model mm -hmm. and someone else from that paints a unit. And then from that, someone goes, I'm going to paint a unit. And it is very, uh, very inspiring to see when, when other people paint stuff, convert things. Uh, and it just gets the, the hobby juices going in a time where you might, you know, you might be in a hobby funk, you know, you might not want to necessarily paint or, or touch models for a little bit and uh, seeing someone put, something on the table where you, wow, that's, that's, that's a beautiful, you know, that's a beautiful paint job. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it is yeah, no, me. I could not agree more. And I know to a degree, um, things like Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram have been really, um, inspiring for a lot of people because you're able to create sort of global communities for games, um, that sometimes wouldn't be able to get off the ground otherwise, because you may not have that local group of people to build that enthusiasm off of. Uh, I know that you and I are both members of a, a GI Joe group, um, of people who convert, <laughs> G, you know, 28 millimeter GI Joe models. And most of the people in that group are scattered to the four winds. It, it's only a couple yes. hundred people, you know, in this Facebook group, but we draw inspiration from each other's work. Um, and you know, I wouldn't have that unless we had that group. And so if you wonder where a lot of my GI Joe inspiration comes from, it's from members in that group posting their stuff. And I go, yeah, I want to do that too. Um, and I would love to play guy, play those guys, but most of them are way far away. Um, you know, especially us being in Australia, but, um, you know, to have that local group to walk into an event, you know, two blocks from my house yesterday with 26 players, um, that sold out, for Asia Sigmar, you know, that's pretty cool. Um, and now you might say yeah. 26. No, that's not very much. Well, Melbourne doesn't have a huge Asia Sigmar scene, at least not an organized one. A lot of people playing their friends, um, a lot of little local groups, but we're not seeing like the big events, but with CanCon yeah. coming up 220 players, like Australia's got a huge Asia Sigmar scene. Um, Sydney, for example, massive. Uh, and so, you know, just to be able to get some of that local, you know, flair going. I mean, 26 is almost as big as Melbourne's largest bolt action event ever. Um, and so, right. you know, is my, you know, that, that just 
show's hype. And there was a lot of people who just could make it. And again, it was sold out. And you go, wow. If I want to get some games with a lot of folks, um, you know, see a lot of different army builds, play different people playing different armies, um, that can be exciting in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of Cancon, I, I can't wait to see some of the pictures from the AOS tournament because yeah. I imagine there's some amazing, amazing armies on display. Oh, man. I was looking at the pictures of the event yesterday. Um, I only saw some of the armies because I, I basically rolled in when people were unpacking their stuff, um, helped out for a couple of minutes and basically said hi to a bunch of people who I hadn't seen in ages and then had to roll out. But just seeing some of those, just the painting quality uh, is astonishing uh, on a lot of people's armies. And if they're bringing that, I mean, some of those are CanCon armies, but some of those are not. And a lot of the people who are coming to CanCon this year, given that it's such a big event, given that it's being covered by Rob Symes from, uh, and his buddy uh, from The Honest Wargamer, um, it's going to be huge. And people are bringing their A game. And just the number of people on Twitter who are putting out, uh, you know, Road to CanCon, Road to CanCon, My Army for CanCon, this, that, and the other thing for CanCon. And you just look at the 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 level of conversions and the level of painting. Um, it's just that thing that, you know, people are inspiring one another to take it to that next level. I mean, the display boards are ridiculous. Um, it's just fantastic to see. Uh, it, it, to be honest, it's, it's, it's gotten my juices flowing in a big way. Um, and I know you've had similar experiences too. Yeah, those 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 display boards. My goodness, that's right. admittedly that's something hobby wise I haven't crossed into as yet, and I really should. Uh, I, I really really should. Maybe maybe if I if I enter the AOS tournament um, next CanCon, that's definitely something that I'd look at doing. Uh, but yes, seeing those armies, you, it just you can't not help but get inspired and want to, you know, want to start painting your your. Um, mm-hmm. uh, painted plastic, which, which I've got an abundance of, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, uh, I know that some people have noticed that I've done sort of a little bit of Age of Sigmar content in the past, and I'm probably going to do more in the future. Um, I mean, this will not turn into an Age of Sigmar podcast. I'm still going to continue doing what <laughs> Cast Dice does. Um, but Age of Sigmar is going to hopefully rotate in um, because I finally have a painted army. Um, and if you don't mind, Jermaine, I might talk about that for a minute. Yeah, go for it. So... In 2011, um, before my divorce, I was working on a weird one-off. I wanted to make a, for 7th Ed Warhammer, an army that looked like no other. Um, And I had this wacky idea. Having done the... So for those people who haven't seen, um, I, I painted a giant floating eyeball army. Um, I sculpted it from scratch. Um, I was, you know, I had a lot of containers of green stuff. I had a lot of jet lag. I was traveling through the United States and I was up at weird hours. I hadn't slept. And for some reason I was thinking, you know, Zinch Demons, do you know what would be cool? Giant floating eyeballs. And so I painted an entire army of flying tongues, flying eyeballs, flying chompy Pac-Man heads. Um, and I took it all, I did it all in like two, two and a half weeks. And I had some friends help. It wasn't just me. Um, but I did all the sculpting and I had some friends help me get it all done for the event. But I got this all, all done for a 40K event um, way back when, an invitational called Libra Animus. And I loved it. And people generally re- you know, responded well to it. And I just love the idea of creating something from scratch. It was that whole notion in my head of we are playing a game, like a, a board game, a glorified board game. 
And what are we moving around on the tabletop? Um, like Monopoly, we have your little boot and your little you know, race car, and that's your piece. And so what you are creating are pieces for a board game. And that's sort of, I think, where my jet-lagged mind went. Like, how could I create an interesting piece to put on the table to represent this, this model that I, I, or this unit that I really want to put down? And I hated the Zinch models at the time. So that was how that sort of came to being. Um, but that led into me coming up with this weird sculpting style of um, you know using my thumbs and certain sculpting tools to come up with. I mean, in the end, I, I, I think giant chompy mouths and round things was sort of where my brain went. And I'm, look, I'm not super talented as a sculptor, but it's where I, I went. Um, and then way back when the... The local Warhammer scene was shifting towards the end of seventh um, to something called uh, ET or uh, Swedish Comp, and one of the things in Swedish Comp was um, like you had a certain number of units. You could like every unit had a score, and you added it all up, and your army had to fall between a certain range of scores. It was a way to prevent people from taking OP armies, um, overpowered armies in that game system at the time. That you know was sort of prone to abuse. Um, so I came up with this notion of, I had this giant box of dice and I had a pile of orc heads from a 40K army that I'd done. Um, and I had a few arms and I had a few legs, but I had, for some reason, I had literally like 200 orc heads. Um, and so I looked at my dice and I looked at the orcs and I looked at my big pile of green stuff that I'd still had and went, hmm, I wonder. So I took, stacked two dice, glued them together to create a little armature, stuck a orc head on top, and then sculpted fur around it. And so the idea was that it was an orc in a heavy fur cloak. Um, and the idea was that I would put it with, you know, rocky bases with snow and everything else. And then that, so I, I made 70, 80 of those guys and made some goblins to go along. And then Aethid, switched around so I kind of put that on the back burner for a little while then got really interested in it again and started working on trolls um but I you know I wanted to do something completely different and so I came up with I don't know how I went back to my giant round chompy mouth idea um and so I came up with I got little styrofoam eggs um egg shapes and I covered them in green stuff and then once that was done, I put giant chompy mouths and lips on them, but I didn't want them just to float. Um, so I used the arms that I had left over from my 40K orcs and cut the guns off. So it was just sort of like the elbows and the knuckles, um, you know, sort of, and I used that to make their knee joints and I used the knuckles to be their feet. Um, you know, where the base touched and I sort of, so is this making sense? Are you getting a picture where I'm yeah, going with this? Yeah. yeah so yeah, that's how I got that. knees, um, and sort of leg shapes and I put them all on and then started the 12 to 18 month process. And I did take little breaks, but it was a, the lion's share of my hobby for at least 12 months was putting fur on trolls. Um, <laughs> And I was like, yeah, this will be great. It'll be, look, it's taking a long time to sculpt, but you know, it'll be really fast to paint. Um, but in the process, it, it was literally the most ambitious hobby project I've ever done. And I've done some stupid stuff in my day. Um, 
but putting fur on those 24 trolls and they are big models. Um, and so I did that. Uh, and then I successfully burnt myself out on the project. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm tired of sculpting fur. I'm going to put some patches of scaly skin. And so I came up with a way of sculpting that. Um, and then I was like, oh, maybe I could do some cuts um, and having them regenerating because that's in the rules. So I did a couple of those. Um, and then it was just back to fur and fur and fur and fur. And I listened to so many audiobooks and so many, because it was sort of pre-podcast, so many other things when I was doing that damn army. Finally got it done. Um, and it was about the time that I met my um, now wife. And... Um, Hobby went away for a little while, and then Eighth Ed died, and the army, unfortunately, uh, sort of sat in a box for a long time. And if you listen to the original Dwellers Below podcast, for about a year, all I did was say, well, I put some fur on some trolls, and I put some fur on some trolls. And then even when I wasn't talking about it, I was putting some fur on some trolls, because I was like, I'm going to secretly finish this, look at me go, you know, it was my secret plan is to put this army on the tabletop, cool. Um, Yeah, no. Uh, so that sucked. Um, but given that I'm trying to get back into Age of Sigmar, the last school holidays, um, I rebased all the goblins. I rebased all the trolls. And I actually, um, because I didn't want to ruin the models um, or get paint on the stuff that I had painted, um, I actually made little footprints of green stuff on, on, on a base stuck the little feet in it, so made actual footprints in the little piles of green stuff on the bases, smoothed out the side so it was nice and smooth, but still had the footprint, then glued my flock on, but not in the footprints, then did the whole, went through the whole basing process, painted the whole thing, and eventually glued the individual model into the base that it was designed for. By the way, that takes a stupid amount of time. I do not recommend it, but guess what? It's done. Um, so this school <laughs> holiday, I went back um, and I have painted the, so the fur was the only thing that was painted on these models, but now the lips, the teeth, um, the cuts, the scaly skin, um, all the little details. Um, I added snow, the new GW technical snow to the bases, um, little tufts of dead grass. Um, I've done the whole thing. And so I, I can proudly say that my most ambitious project ever, um, these 24 trolls, and as an aside, the 40 goblins to go with them, um, are done. So the trolls need helmets. Sorry, the, um, the goblins need helmets, but I'm waiting to do that when I, when I get back from my trip so I can do it all at once. But the 24 trolls are completely done. So I'm really excited, um, especially given that there is now a new goblin book out um, that allows you to take a total troll army. So now all I have to do is sculpt a general. Um, so, but anyway, sorry, Jermaine, I'm sort of rambling, um, but I no, did want to, I've never said that on a podcast, I don't think. And so I kind of wanted to talk through this process. Uh, um, no, you're good. No, you're good. I've, I've, I've seen pictures and I, and I definitely dig them, man. Now, they, now there's something that needs to come out on the table very, very soon, I think, buddy. Yeah. Well, I'm just excited. People have been looking at them on Facebook and on Twitter. Yes, I got a Twitter account. Um, and going, oh, you know, a few people have messaged me saying, oh, I don't know why that necessarily took so long. They're not that big. And I keep <laughs> sort of messaging back, those are 50 millimeter bases. Um, I think they're assuming they're 28s or 32s um, because they're not used to seeing the models. Like they're one offs. You can't, and they're not next to anything else. The scale throws you, especially if you're used to seeing my eyeball army, which are on 28s. Um, yeah. The size of the circle 
kind of matches the base. I kind of did that on purpose. So, you know, it, it kind of takes up the same amount of space as like a Warhammer model. Um, but with the trolls, they are literally like 50 millimeters around. Um, oh, they're, they're, they're big. They're giant, chompy death heads. And I, yeah, look, they're silly. I know a lot of people hate them. I know a lot of people hate them. Um, and I know people are going to give me shade for putting it on the tabletop. But I've spent, I, I can't even count how many hours on this project. And I'm just happy that they're, pardon my friend, they're effing done. It's been a long road and they yeah. are ready. Yeah, yeah. No, I think they look very, very cool. And it's 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 really, really cool too that you've been able to finish uh, the project as well. I've, I've had so many failed Oh, you and me both, brother. Yeah. Oh, where in my head it's it's this grand scheme and grand design, mm -hmm. and I get you know there's ones where I've gotten as far as the, the the test model and I've shot the the paint through the airbrush and gone, well that's not going to work. That's, right. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's always the worst. Where you spend hundreds of dollars and you do the models, and you're like, yeah, this is great. And maybe you build half of it, if not all of it, and you go, nah, I I, I yep. can't, I can't do this. Yeah, well, my Sigmarines that I've got now, I've got um, in the new paint scheme that I've got, I've got 1,500 points now all done. Nice. Um, I, I've got, I think I've got about 1,500 points in the old scheme, which is the the, the default gold and blue. Mm -hmm. uh, now the scheme that I've gone for is a, is a sort of a variation of that gold with black and red. Nice. Um, originally, this, their armor was meant to, I was gonna. I was doing it through the airbrush, and I think I've showed you pictures back in the past where their armor. I wanted it to kind of look a bit ghostly and a little bit glowy, mm -hmm. uh, so leaning more towards a greenish blue. Mm -hmm. But my airbrush really did not enjoy scale seventy five paints. Ooh, it really didn't enjoy it. I would get about three or four models in, and have to clean the whole brush. Uh, it really did it. No matter what thinner I used. Uh, it just did not enjoy the color. So that, that got scrapped very quickly. No, thanks. Yeah. That does not sound like a good time. Yeah. It got scrapped very quickly. And then I was just kind of playing around, uh, painting and then, um, painted this red on the black, uh, with a bit of a different variation on the gold. And I just lucked out. I fell in love with it. Uh, and then continued to go from there. Nice. Yeah, man, it's it's there's a difference between a labor of love and doing something ridiculous versus trying to push something uphill that just shouldn't be there. <laughs> oh, for sure. Right. For sure. And yeah, sometimes exactly. that is what makes a one of a kind army a one of a kind army is that no one in their right minds would do that. Um, but sometimes if it's literally forcing a certain paint color through a brush in airbrush, that's maybe something that other people may not you know, understand how difficult it was for you to do. It was very frustrating. It was, it, it was very frustrating. Um, I, I predominantly do a lot of my hobby in the garage. Mm -hmm. um, and normally when I do it, it's a nice day. The, the kids go outside and, and, you know, ride their bikes or mm -hmm. bounce bars, play around. While I was doing this through the airbrush, they could not go outside because I did not want them to hear the language. <laughs> using 
when putting this through the airbrush, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I said some terrible, horrible things to my 105 Badger that um, <laughs> I don't think that airbrush is ever going to forgive me for saying. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, poor airbrush. And yet these things happen. Yeah, I think my sculpting tools have been through that as well. Um, yeah. As I said, I'm not necessarily a talented sculptor, but, you know, when you go back, you have to like, oh, that looks like crap. Let me scrap that off and start again. And you're like, ooh. Um, because, yeah. I mean, I'm sure painting's the same thing when you're airbrushing something. When you're sculpting, at least something as big as the trolls were, I would have to do it in patches. It wasn't like I could do one whole troll. I would have to do it in like, you know, here's, you know, two inches by two inches of real estate, you know, area on the model, then I'd have to put it down and I'd have to paint, you know, sculpt, sorry, not paint, sculpt match all the fur around it um, on the next one. Because otherwise, when you rotate it, because it's egg shaped, you would put your finger in the damn thing without fail and you would you know, (laughs) ruin all that work. And then you have to go back and do it again. And you're like, and then, you know, your hands would be sticky. And then it was just a nightmare. Um, but you know, it got. I'm just happy it got there in the end. Um, well, for me, anyone that can sculpt, I, I, I really admire. You know that that sculpting job that you've done on your army is insane, uh, <laughs> just based on the volume and how good they look. Um, a good buddy of mine, Tommy, who does a lot of sculpting with green stuff as well. I just I don't know how you guys do it. It just I don't think it's a skill set that I have. Um, as 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 far as my sculpting expertise goes, it goes to filling gaps yeah. in models where. Yeah. Um, where the resin hasn't, hasn't, you know, hasn't quite met the standard, and, uh, and I've got to fill a gap. Uh, that's that's yeah. that's as far as my expertise goes. Well, I I have problems with sculpting fine detail faces, um, you know, certain flat bits. Um, just like I have problems highlighting, like I, I, my brain just doesn't see where it goes. Um, I'm not necessarily an artistic person. I think I, I sort of sculpt out of. Um, like when I used to run, I used to be, I used to run marathons and it was literally um, fighting against gravity the entire time. In my case, against sculpting, it's just fighting against my lack of talent constantly. But it's just the, all right, try it again. All right, try it again. All right, try it again. Get it done. Get it done. And it's just one of those things. I don't actually think my stuff's very good. Um, I just think that no one else has the, uh, no one else is doing it. Um, and, and it could be that no one else likes the effect. Um, but I like that effect. And so I've, I've done it. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying not to sound like, well, look at the sculpting I did. Um, <laughs> and, and I know it's, it's making for bad radio to talk about stuff that I've sculpted and slash we painted. Um, and then you go, well, you, I can't actually show you what I'm talking about. Um, so I'll, I, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, if you go to the, um, cast ice Facebook page or the cast ice Twitter account, um, you can see pictures of this project as I complete it. Um, and there'll be lots of pictures in this week and next week coming up, um, as I get my photo box out to show exactly what I've been up to. Um, but again, it's a very simple, very simple, um, strategies were used. It was a very simple scheme. It was just a matter of getting it down and doing the damn thing. And all it took was time. Um, which these days I don't have a lot of. And so, um, sort of, that is one of the reasons I think why I'm so proud of this damn project is that it's actually done. And I turned to my wife and said, they're done. And she was like, you mean the things that you've been doing since we've been together? And I was like, yes, 2012. How about that? So I'm just glad. Yeah. Done. Oh, well, they look good, mate. And I, I can't see them across on the tabletop, buddy. 
I'm just looking forward to putting him on a tabletop. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. And yeah, putting him down. And it's not just that. Like, I'm insanely proud of that army, which is why I keep talking about it. And I should shift gears here, which I'm going to. Um, I'm really excited to play Age of Sigmar. When um, Warhammer died, uh, seventh became eighth, eighth became Age of Sigmar. Um, I have a, a lot of what we were talking about before half finished projects or. Um, armies that I had, for example, in 8th edition, my demons were one of my big armies. I had a massive demon army. Unfortunately, it doesn't work in Age of Sigmar. Um, I had a, a Warriors of Chaos army that I also had for 8th uh, edition that I played at CanCon. I loved it. Um, it doesn't work for Age of Sigmar, necessarily. It needs Everything clearly needs to be rebased. But that aside... Um, the way that army armies have been sort of redistributed, um, the chaos gods now go into their four, like you can't cross. So my old army had two squads, blood letters, had some demonettes, had this, had that from the different chaos aspects of the chaos pantheon. Now you kind of need to, to mono God it, which is great from a fluff perspective is awesome, but it just means that I have a bunch of two thirds of an army and I need to finish it. I have a beautiful, yeah. you know, half finished cast or farming that I'd love to put on the table, but I got to make time to finish it. And I'm struggling to find the time to finish an army scale project. Um, and so I'm really excited to have one army down, learn the game a bit, get some mechanics under my belt and then go, is this for me? If it is, what's my play style and how, which of these armies that I have half to two thirds finished which one of these is the one I want to play? Because it's all well and good to build and finish an army and then start playing it and realize, huh, I don't think I enjoy this. Uh, I really wish I'd done this other thing, um, which is a little bit of, you know, I have a, a big fear of FOMO when it comes to gaming, you know, fear of missing out. Um, and I'm like, I really want to do this, like a fast, hitty, charity, a chariot heavy army. But everyone keeps telling me the chariots are garbage in the game. And, um, you know, I really need to play to find out what I like. And I'm going, yeah, but, but I like the idea, but am I actually going to like it on the table? Um, and I know that's been a problem with, you know, when I used to play 40K, it's like, oh, this sounds great. Um, I borrowed a friend's Tau army for an event once, and I played it going, wow, the aesthetic for this army is great. I played in the event, walked home, and went, I never want to play Tau ever, ever yeah. again. And I'm glad I didn't spend the money and the time painting it, as beautiful as it is, um, especially for those of us, and I know you kind of fall in this as well, where you want to put, you know, a, an, at least an assembled, partially painted, if not fully painted army on the table before you actually play with it. Um, yeah. Right? It, it, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. With my um, with my Stormcast, I, even though I've got units that I know will be very, very good, they're not painted. So they haven't seen the tabletop just yet. Yeah. So my list kind of revolves around what do I have painted at the moment um, and, and what's still sitting on the shelf. So I, I do like when I can, when I've got the ability to, putting down a fully painted army, which with Age of Sigma, I think it's, I think it's the first time I've been able to do that with such a large game, uh, besides maybe bolt action. Mm. Um uh, the 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 thousand or eleven hundred points of U.S. Army that I had, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I do like putting down fully painted armies. Uh, even even 
going back to, to playing Malifaux or Infinity when mm-hmm. I was playing that. Uh, I do like putting down models that, that are done. Yeah. I mean, and for games like Malifaux to a degree, I mean, <laughs> the joke with Malifaux is you only need seven models, um, oh. but you end up with a million of them. Um, with a game like a quote-unquote skirmish game, uh, Gaslands, uh, Malifaux, 7TV, you know, all these games, um, you know, Kill Team, games that require a few models, um, it's easier to get a painted crew on the table um, and to get playing, um, especially if you like to have fully painted stuff before you go out and do it. Uh, and For those sure. are, and those are, you know, they tend to be shorter games, um, which really lend, you know, sort of lend themselves to, to my lifestyle at the moment and how much time I can commit to things. And I know yep. you, you go through the same thing. Um, but like you, I think I also like to put a full army out on the table sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Like with my time is distributed a little bit different. Like you, I've sent you pictures of my roster. Oh yeah. Um, I've got, <laughs> I've got a crazy work schedule. There's a reason why it's color coded uh, because I'm mixing day shifts and night shifts. But the one benefit of, of my insane work schedule is I get whole uh, four to five days off in between those insane blocks that I do. Yeah. Um, and that's where a lot of my hobby gets done because my children run off to school during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife goes to work and then it's just me. So I'm, I'm, I'm free to hang in the garage uh, and just paint literally all day. So that's where a lot of my hobby gets done. Yeah. I, I'm the same way with school holidays. You know, during the school year, it's like, oh, God, I just barely, I, I might do a little bit every night. But then, you know, all of a sudden, I get three two-week holidays a year and then Christmas, which is my big one, which is my summer holiday, which, you know, is about a month. That's when it's, sure, I'm going to do a lot of work around the house and I'm going to work on the deck or, you know, home renovation projects. But that's when I can actually sit down and kick out five, six hours and go, bam, yeah. I'm going to get it done. Which is why last school holidays, I did the bases. This school holidays, I finished the trolls. Army's done. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you get to do that um, – you know, as you say, because yours isn't broken out like that, it's just redistributed a different way. But you do have that hobby time where you do get to go in and do it. It's yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It's the only reason why I get so much done. Um, I've had a couple of buddies comment on how quickly I can paint stuff, and it's not it's not the fact that I've painted it quickly. It's just I've got I had the whole day to do it on a Wednesday. <laughs> that's that's all it is. It's not a special skill. Uh, that's for sure. I'm not faster than anyone else. I just have a lot of time during the week to get stuff done. I hear you, brother. Well, I, I do know that our friend Patch, um, who is one of the most prolific and fastest painters I've ever seen, um, he does it slightly differently. He doesn't usually go in long spurts, um, you know, using up free time for stuff like that. I think mainly because of the way, um, you know, his work and family schedule is. Um, what he does is he's an early riser and, you know, he works a little bit, you know, an hour or two a day. As far That's Patch's secret. Wow. Put a couple hours in, commit to it, know your time, plan in advance what you're going to do. Don't just get in there and, you know, futz around. Know what you're going to do. Go in, do it, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. So be organized and um, just, you know, a couple, you know, an hour or two every day. He doesn't spend like the eons on things. And I mean, 
I'll be honest. I sometimes go like, oh, I feel like working on this today, or I feel like working on this today. But Patch is very much getting this done, doing this right now. Bam. And he knocks it out. Next thing, knocks it out. Bam, knocks it out. And yes, he's a fast painter, but because he's organized, because he has everything in prepared in advance, and because he makes that time, it's never like, oh, I'm going to go play a video game or, oh, I'm just going to read a book tonight. It's, I'm going to finish this thing. Um, and it's that discipline and just that regular time that gets it done. Um, so yeah, uh, I think it's interesting that those two philosophies both work. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of other ones as well, but anyway. Well, that's inspiring. There, there is that group on Facebook. Uh, I think it's called an arrow night. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Yeah. 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 And they get a lot of stuff done. Um, and I, I did try that for a little bit. Um, but with my work schedule being 12 hour shifts. Yeah. No. Um, after 12 hour shifts, even an hour a night is, is a bit of a stretch. I did try it for a little bit. Uh, and then bad myself out of that hour, about 45 minutes sitting there trying not to break things because I was still <laughs> yeah work. So, uh, that, that, that did work on some nights and didn't work on others. Yeah. I had this awesome idea of, you know, I might try and paint a half an hour every day during lunch. Um, then I remembered I was a public school teacher and I don't ever, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I actually took a proper lunch break. So, uh, yeah, that doesn't work. You know, not if I want to do my job. So, uh, yeah, that doesn't work either. People are like, Oh, you get 12 weeks off a year for va- you know, vacation teachers, teachers are slack. And I went, yeah, but I go to work early and I come home late and I maybe get five minutes to go to the toilet and eat lunch today. So get bets. Anyway. Um, I, I look, we're, we're kind of rambling a little bit. I think we're kind of on topic. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Let, let's talk about something else because I know that you've been playing a game that we mentioned and I'm super, uh, curious about the game. Um, especially given all of the expansions that are coming out. Now you've been playing a fair bit of kill team. Um, oh, yes. can you tell us a little bit about, for those who don't know, what is the game? Um, and what do you like about it? And then we'll talk about some of the other things. So what, what is the game? Give us the, the concept of it. The, the best way to summarize Kill Teams is it is a little taste of 40K without having to spend $3,000 on an army. It's, <laughs> right. uh, it, it, it's what I love about 40K. So it is a skirmish game. Uh, it is 40K based. So all of your factions, all your, your teams from your 40K do have representation in Kill Teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially they are – if your 40K is a big battle that happens on a giant battlefield, these are your small skirmish battles that happens when someone's trying to get intel mm-hmm. or trying to secure a, um, a HVT, mm-hmm. uh, something of that nature. So your model count is going to be anywhere between – if you're running an elite sort of force, probably five – uh, all the way to if you're going to run quote unquote horde style, maybe about twelve to fourteen models. Yeah, uh, one of the high concept things that they were toting with the game when it came out was it's forty k, but instead of needing to buy an entire army, as you said, all you need to buy is one squad box. Um, yeah, and yeah. literally you make a crew out of. Now, of course, you can differentiate that out and use various models from all over the place, but. To play Kill Team, all you need to do is buy one box. Yes, Malifo, I did just say that again. Um, all you need to do is buy one box, guys. Um, yeah. But it it it's 40k for that. 
you buy one box of Tau Fire Warriors, bam, you can make a kill team out of that. You want to make um, yeah. Chaos Space Marines, bam, all you need is one box of Chaos Space Marines. Now, can you add cultists? Yes. Can you add, you know, Plague Marines or Elite this or, you know, this, that, the other thing? Yes. Um, but yeah. So, so from there, um, what do you like about this game? Besides the fact that it is at a smaller scale and you're able to get things done quickly. I've always been a lot more attracted to skirmish games, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Um, not just due to model count. I find the sort of narrative aspects to be a little bit more prevalent, mm. uh, if that makes sense. Totally. Uh, so that's something I really, really enjoy with kill teams. Um, the fact that you haven't got many models on the board means you can really put time and effort into this one fire warrior. Right. Or you can really put time and effort into this one space marine reaver mm-hmm. and give him a name, give him a character, give him extra things so that he looks a bit different as opposed to being nameless marine 12, you right. know, in, in, in his unit. The other thing I really like about kill teams is I think the rules are really, really good. I, I really like the rules. They're a variation on 40K. Mm-hmm. So they do work a little bit different with a couple of extra phases. But they make for a very, very snappy, very quick, uh, very, very, very fun game. Yeah. So a long time ago, I was working on a, um, a one, almost a single man version of Bolt Action that I found out that um, I think John Russell was working on a set uh, for Warlord. So I stopped working on that. But um, one of the things I came in came up to when I was playing that um, was trying to streamline the rules down um, to make it a short, sharp game. But it turned into, you know, it could go very quickly or it could go very slowly. Um, and it, it's hard to add mechanics um, if people are used to playing it a certain way. Um, what I really like about the way Kill Team reads out is, as you say, it adds a few phases to the game that adds that depth and allows you to add character. So it, it really does feel like, I mean, think of all those commando movies, I guess is what I'm trying to say, where, you know, you have a small group of, you know, ragtag bunch of um, whatever, and they're trying to accomplish this goal against all the odds. Um, and, or they're going against another group of specialists. Um, they're trying to accomplish something on the battlefield. Um, how many movies exist like that? Countless numbers where your hero is out there against, you know, a ton of minions or whatever else. You very yeah. rarely have the, and here's one army versus here's another army. Um, so <laughs> it's very cinematic. Um, yeah. And they and they, they even have little charts when you're making your um, crews that you can roll and it, you can come up with an individual name for, and it gives you the names of the people that you can put in there. Like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to name a space wolf. Well, roll two dice. Bang. Here's his first name. Here's his last name. Stick it on. And it looks good. It looks authentic. It's by the game itself. And you can use that to sort of name people to give them personalities. And you can even roll on a personality chart. So it's almost like they're taking... Warhammer 40,000, and they're giving it like a, a role play feel. Um, but by the same token, it is sort of short and sharp. Um, you can play games in a shorter, a much shorter period of time than 40K. And there is more rules depth to it, but you're also not spending two hours on it. If that, I, I think I'm rambling, but do you, you see where I'm going with that? It is. That's a perfect way to describe it. I had a buddy around on Friday night, Marcus, and he wanted a run through. Through, through through kill teams, mm-hmm. so he had never played uh, before. Uh, our first game, uh, running him through his army as well as the rules, maybe took us about 
just over an hour, wow. I want to say. Yeah, for uh, a new player intro, that's saying something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think when I looked at the clock, maybe an hour and 10, hour and 15, mm-hmm. somewhere thereabouts. Um, and then our second game, once Marcus had a grasp on the rules, uh, and he rolled very, very well, he rolled a lot of sixes. Mm-hmm. That went for about 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so they're very, very quick snapping games. It's almost... It's almost the 40k version of Shade Spire, uh, without the predetermined board. It, um, and that's another thing I love about kill teams is the size of the board. It's so quirky. Right. It's not. It's not three by four. It's not four by four. It's not three by three. It's it's its own little little board. Mm-hmm. And I bought uh, two of the what they refer to as kill zones, um, where I think the retail is about 140 bucks. Mm-hmm. You get. The, the, the board, uh, and then you get terrain, but you also get rules for the terrain. That's so, so that cool, every right? zone you play is a little bit different. They've got their own rules. They've got their own missions. And I've, I've had a lot of fun painting up that terrain. Uh, I've got two boards now fully done. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it as well because uh, not only can I use it, but you, you know, the rest of the boys when we play kill teams, it's free to everyone to use. So mm-hmm. – Everyone gets to play on on painted terrain, which I think everyone enjoys. So that's that's been a really really big part of Kill Teams for me. Uh, and again, just the game is quick, snappy, fun. Um, I had a stupid amount of fun naming my towel, uh, mm-hmm. as you said, by rolling on the table and getting random names. I, I had a really really maybe a little bit too much fun uh, doing that uh, and then giving them personalities as well, which I thought was very cool, which, which also changed my play style on the board, you know, because my sniper, uh, I think for him, I rolled that he was a bit of a hothead. <laughs> so I would have to put him, well, I, I did put him in some maybe not so advantageous spots because mm-hmm. he does just rush out onto the battlefield. And for me, that was fun. You know, probably not the most tactical thing I could do, but fun nonetheless. I say, but fun, right? And fun's the name of the game. Um, now, they, they have added something. Now, that was the basic kill team game that we've been talking about. But they've added one expansion already, and they're about to add another one. So the the first expansion, well, they, they added a couple of expansions. Um, there was uh, Rogue Trader, which was sort of kill team in space. Um, oh, that was very Yes, but there was uh, kill teams. Uh, now, is it called leaders? Uh, commanders. Commanders. I knew something like that. Explain to us what that does. Commanders. Commanders is a little bit rough because commanders is a expansion book, so that you could because um, normally with kill teams you've got your leader and then you've got your specialist and then you've got your troops. Mm-hmm. What commanders does is it adds one extra character on there, which is your commander. So he's above the leader your commanders will be souped-up versions of the characters. So for your Primaris Marines, you can now chuck in a Chaplain or a mm. Psyker uh, or, a, uh, or, or a Lieutenant. So they're going to be guys with uh, a couple of more wounds, some special aura abilities, uh, which is quite important, and um, probably different weapon options. So the Commander's expansion is just the one book, and you get all the Commander's for all the current factions. So you don't have to buy a commander book just for your Marines or just for your Skitari. It's mm-hmm. just the one book for all your commanders. Now I have a question about that. I, I know that when, 
right before I came out, there was a lot of discussion on podcasts and um, I read some stuff online where people were worried that, I mean, Kill Team is a fairly balanced game. Um, people really enjoy playing it, um, but people were worried that it would turn into Hero Hammer overnight, where you would have one dominating yeah. character that could just walk through the rest of the Kill Team because it is, I mean, it's just regular dudes and squads. And think about in a game of 40K, if you've ever played that or you know, whatever other Warhammer analog game we're talking about, where you have the big character and it just walks through squads um, and just knocks everyone down. Well, in a kill team environment, some of these characters could be lethal. Um, do you feel like Commanders does a good job of sort of leveling the playing field and making it feel fair? Um, or were those fears justified? Yeah, that's a great question. Um Kill team. So normally your kill team games are 100 points. Mm -hmm. When you incorporate commanders, it bumps it up to 200 points. Oh, okay. And that's really because your commanders will sort of cost anywhere between maybe 30 all the way up to 80 points. Okay. So they're a big they're a big chunk. If you're going to take a commander, you've really got to build your list around the commander. Now, in saying that, I, I have just played one game using commanders, and that was against Pip, mm -hmm. who he ran his Gene Steeler Cult. Um, I ran the Jellapox from the Rogue Trader expansion. Nice. Yeah, so it was 200 points. We used commanders. On purpose, we took two very different commanders. I took a very combat-heavy commander. Mm -hmm. He's a very buff, aura-orientated support character. And we were really worried this was, as you said, going to break the game, going to turn it into two heroes running around while no one else really done anything. Right. In the one game that we played, we couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> it was the commanders were very strong, but everyone still had their 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 part to do. Mm. And the team is not gonna work just based on your commander. Right. I could be very wrong, and there could be commanders out there that are just gonna completely break the game, and it is gonna be about the commander. But in the game that Pip and I played, our commanders were very strong, but they actually, you know, they weren't the MVPs of our team. Right. Um I ended up just uh, walking away with the win, just, I think, uh, by a point. Uh, and it was quite literally on a lucky roll from a pistol shot in close combat. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So the commander wasn't even involved in that one. Um, <laughs> right on. Yeah, Pip, uh, I managed to, I, I think I managed to kill Pip's commander. And my commander uh, was limping around on one wound left. So they're definitely not invulnerable. I would like to give 200 points and commanders more of a shot. Nice. Yeah. Because I think, I think it is balanced. I want to say, but again, I've only played the one game, so I don't want to, I don't want to overextend myself, but I did. Right, right. We did really enjoy that game. We really, really did. Nice. Now that I, I mean, albeit you've played once, but I have also done a little bit of reading prior to us recording today. And people seem to be of the same opinion that it really doesn't. I mean, it changes the way you play but it doesn't sure. ruin the way you play, um, I think is the general consensus. Now, there are some people who have some sour grapes, but there tends to be you know, some people with sour grapes yeah. in every gaming system. Um, yeah. so, so it's, yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to say. They could be right. They, yeah. they may not be. Um, they may have played more than I have, you know, clearly more than I have, but more than we have, but um, they may just be negative. So I think, it, it, I think time will tell on that one. Um, now, think, oh, sorry, go ahead. So um, I think adding in commanders as well 
also changes the way you play in terms of now some weapons are more effective than others. Oh, so now your weapons, you know, like your melter weapons or your plasma weapons mm-hmm. that are now going to dole out D3 or D6 wounds, now all of a sudden become worth taking. Because if right. you're playing a bunch of webs with one wound, it's not really worth taking. It's kind of overkill. Right. But now that you've got these multi-wound models, I might chuck a plasma gun in my army. I might mm-hmm. chuck a melter in there. So I think it changes the game, but I think more or less in positive ways because these are cool weapons that you weren't really taking before because they're kind of a waste. Yeah. But now you're going to take them because I want to pop a commander with a plasma shot. Why not? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Hmm. Now, of course, this game keeps coming up in my feed and coming across my interest because uh, I like uh, Warhammer. I have a pile of old, partially finished 40K projects uh, and a few completed <laughs> armies that I'm looking at going, I'd love to do something with you. Um, you're just taking yeah. up space. Uh, but it gives, I think, an opportunity to to play those small, short, sharp, punchy games that I like to play on a weeknight, maybe, when I you know, can get away for exactly. a little bit. Um, I think this, yeah, I think that is definitely the way to go. And I love, you talked about it before, the board size. Um, and you did talk about it being weird. I think it's, was it 18 by 23 it, inches, something like that? Yeah, it is a very, very quirky, quirky scale. Give me... Yeah, it's like it's 23. It sticks in my head for some reason. I mean, 26, 23 by 36. I can't. It's it's a rectangular shape, and it's very small. Uh, but one of the things, and you were talking about terrain before, that I think it's great is you don't need to have a ton of terrain. Now, for that game, you do kind of want to have some density to some of the terrain, just given the way that the rules interact and that it's a skirmishy, uh, cinematic style game, you want to have cool objectives on the tabletop um, that you talked about with the rules um, as far as the way that different battle zones interact and how, you know, there's a there's like a, a Prometheum Forge, or which is like a fuel tanker where you need to go, you know, interact with that somehow. Um, yeah. And having that down there is cool. Um, so you don't need a lot of terrain. Uh, and the way they've taken some of their other terrain and packaged it up in this has been really cost-effective compared to w- maybe what it is normally um, and interesting. And so I think you can make a really interesting board of fairly dense terrain fairly quickly, fairly easily. And for Games Workshop, and I cringe saying this, fairly inexpensively, comparatively. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He says, yeah, who ever would have? Right? Who would have thought? Uh, but who, yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. So um, coming up, though, we have a new expansion for that game. Uh, was Arenas? Yeah, I, I've been I've been doing a bit of reading into it. Well, well any any news that comes out of it that mm. I can and have a look at the video. I I when they say that it is a kit for organized play, I'm not sure what to expect. To be honest yeah. with you, <laughs> they've been a little bit vague about that. Look, I am going to buy it because mm-hmm. it's kill teams and I have already bought everything. So I am going to buy it. That goes without saying the mm-hmm. organized play bit I'm interested about, um, but the board and them saying that it is a, is a very close quarters uh, corridor kind of, um, is it, is it zone mortalis for, for forge world? That's quite a big one. for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. This, this kind of looks like that kind of vibe and that's going to be very interesting given the rule set. Mm, right. Now, what I find really interesting, just having done 
probably not as much rating as you have, is that it looks like sort of Kill Team crossed with almost like an Imperial Salt or a Space Hulk kind of situation where it's more of a 2D board game. Like what they did with the box set for Necromunda. Um, yes. where you have a board with doorways that open and close and, you know, panels that you need to get to. And, um, you set up the board a certain way. And the idea is for organized play, um, everyone's on the same, is playing on the same board. Cause it's one of those things that it, back in the day when games workshop would did event, um, support. And even now, um, when people run events, people talk about, for example, the London grand tournament last year and how the event, how the terrain was shocking. It was a couple of people, oh. you know, a couple of pieces of spray painted styrofoam. And I think <laughs> that was it. It was like, it was terrible. Um, but then, you know, you compare that to other events that have gorgeous laid out terrain. Um, but you know, even in bolt action, we had the Scots, um, the Scottish players looking at our tables in Australia saying we didn't use enough terrain. Um, and us looking back at them going, we're using the same amount you are. Um, so it's, you know, without, it, it's hard to regulate that, um, especially if you want to have a match play system that is sort of global, which is something that I think Games Workshop's sort of striving to achieve. So by doing this, yep. by setting a board and saying it has to be laid out this way, um, it sort of locks it in. Now, having played enough GoldenEye back in the day, I know that once you know a board, you know it's ins and outs and that, might help you if uh, you're playing competitively. But again, if you're playing this competitively, um, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, uh, like knowing your surroundings, it really does give you an advantage. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that makes um, sense. I, I don't mind like, it. How about you? That makes sense. I'm very intrigued by it. Anything with kill teams, I'm I'm down for. And I think, I think a board where, as you said, it is going to be a standard layout um, for competitive play. That could make for some very, very cool matchups, um, mm. and make for some very tense matchups as well, where you're going to go from sort of, I guess, a more fun kind of narrative game to something that is a little bit more competitive. Which, mm. um, which that in itself might not be a bad thing. You know, yeah. again, that's just a, another way to play kill teams, which for me adds phenomenal value to a game where I think I've already gotten my value out of it. So, yeah, uh, I'm certainly all for it. I just think it looks cool as well. The the idea of being in sort of a close quarters, almost like a quake arena type right. type deal, uh, to me is very very cool from a uh, from a from an imaginative standpoint. Which uh, I, I guess for me that's always my slant on games. I'm I'm trying to imagine what's going on on the tabletop as opposed to seeing plastic figurines staring at each other. Yeah. So. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, mm. and as you said, if they are going to a more competitive um, global event kind of deal, that, that does make a lot of sense, given um, we, we, we don't want to look at Styrofoam on a board. <laughs> right? Ugh, that looks so bad. And I know people have been trashing it on all sorts of podcasts, and I know that people talked about it and how it was a money-earning thing for the, I don't know, whatever. Um, I just, you know, from a standpoint of walking by the board and looking at it and shuddering and then keep going is, um, I don't think it brings people into the hobby. Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, I, given the popularity of things like Overwatch, um, and video games where people are competing online, um, I don't think it's necessarily surprising. I, I, maybe it is innovative that Games Workshop is taking that approach with Kill Team, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what it does. Uh, yeah. Well, 
Okay, so we have talked about how part of Kill Team, and it had 40K rules as well, and it was yeah. sort of a game in and of itself as well, um, was Rogue Trader, is that right? Uh, Rogue Trader, so the expansion for that, and I guess this was kind of their testing ground for a, for a, um, a sort of closer, mm-hmm. uh, almost more claustrophobic board, because one of, the, one of the boards is actually on the Rogue Trader ship. Oh, is it? So you are very, very close to each other, and there's certain stratagem and, and things you can use with command points mm-hmm. to open and shut doors on each other. Cool. Yeah, so it's it's very, very cool. Very different play style from your normal kill teams. Mm-hmm. So if you are used to a normal kill team game and then you jump into this board, it can be a little bit jarring just because mm-hmm. I've had a game on it uh, as well as seen other people play on it and just sort of gauging their reactions in, in terms of the way they're playing. But for me, in my head, if you if you think of it from an imaginative standpoint, you know, you've got your comms guy uh, mucking around with a terminal while he mm-hmm. opens and shuts doors for you and shooting behind cover and, uh, you know, a door opening and all, all of a sudden rushing through it to, to cut someone's head off. Uh, this, this is the kind of stuff that I really like. So... Nice. Um, that was the Rogue Trader expansion, which comes with two teams. You've got your Rogue Traders um, and the Star Striders, I think they're called, which are essentially Astra Militarum troops, mm-hmm. I want to say. And then on the other side, interestingly, you've got your Jellapox, which um, if you have a look at the pictures, they're the mutated, almost Nurgle-like creatures. Right. What happens the when very- uh, warp seeps in past, was it the Gellerfield to infect Correct. them and you know get them yeah. get them all chaosy and warpy and then you know you have right. like people's coming out of each other's bellies and you know all sorts <laughs> of strange you know mutations yes. and things going on um which has been hinted at in gw novels for years and is really nice that they put it on the tabletop but they actually turned it into a faction in and of itself which as you said as you know i don't think that would work as a 40k army per se um but to make it a unit in 40k as by adding those rules to the box set and by having it be a kill team um faction i think that is the exact place for something like that for sure for sure they're very very cool models i've i've yet got to paint them uh, but i think they might be gum uh, they might be jumping onto my my painting table very soon because mm. i had a game with them that was the game that i played with with pip where i used yeah. the commander and these guys were a lot of fun, nice. a lot of fun, a lot of fun. They they play the way they look. They they want to rush in there, uh, beat your face in, uh, and then hope to survive with their wounds. So nice. very very fun, and they just they just look cool. They're beautiful models. I really yeah. like them. Well, I love that. Yeah, they, again, the detail in there, both the fluff and the modeling, sort of marrying up, and GW really going back and taking things from their own you know, enormous backlog of history slash fluff and then pulling these things out, these little nuggets and then throwing them on the tabletop. Um, it's just awesome to see. But that game was, that is not a game in and of itself. I, it looks like a board game. A lot of, I mean, Games Workshop keeps coming out with these box sets. Um, yes. And they tie in with games. Sometimes they're a game in and of itself. And so sometimes things can get confusing and people might be like, okay, is that a game? Is Rogue Trader a game? Because Blackstone <laughs> Fortresses, which is something else you've been playing, which is the sort of Warhammer Quest 40K. Um, it, yeah, correct. Yes. 
but do, do they give you kill team rules in that? Or I guess those are just rules that are already in the kill team rules, aren't they? Well, interesting you say that. I think it was about two weeks ago. So your Blackstone Fortress box, you get um, your explorers. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you also, on the other side, get your um, your quote-unquote bad guys. Mm-hmm. So these are the guys stuck in the Blackstone Fortress, which consists of uh, Chaos Cultists, uh, Chaos Marines, um, a big bad Chaos Lord, um, some Urgles, which are the Dark Eldar creature thingy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and some spindle drones, um, which are uh, new models, and they're sort of exclusive to the Blackstone Fortress. The cool thing is, about two weeks ago, GW released a PDF with rules for everything in that box set to be played in kill teams. Yeah, that's awesome. Now it's very. I mean, and that's free, and it's just one of those things that GW really is. I mean, sure, they they just put up their prices again, and. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, and sure, we in Australia get killed for a price, but being making their products so sideways compatible, cross compatible, um, is fantastic. And I think it really does just it's bringing a lot of people in. Uh, the number of people who I see are like, oh yeah, I'm going to paint a kill team. Oh, now I'm going to use that for this, or I'm going to get Blackstone Fortress, and I'm just going to paint up those models. And now they're painting entire, um, you know, Trader Guard armies. Casey, I'm looking at you. Um, you know, having just painted a couple of models and all of a sudden, bang, getting in. And it's just the gateway drugs real, man. The first hit is not necessarily free, but um, if you want to cross compatible, it can be. So, uh, <laughs> man, it's, it's, so, it's so tempting. As an old 40K, you know, lover, I'm just looking at this going, man, oh, it's so tempting to go back. But uh, especially... Uh, I think that uh, when I'm going, so I'm, I'm going to be traveling the next couple of days and uh, I've packed a couple of novels and I love reading trashy science fiction and fantasy on flights. Yeah. And I may have packed some 40K novels and I'm going, oh God, I haven't done this in so long. I'm afraid that oh, I'm going to yeah. get off that plane, lack of sleep and jet lagged and go, ooh, maybe I need a 40K army. Um, yeah. Because, man, some of those authors, Dan Abnett in particular, uh, Dubensky, Aaron Dubensky, Brown, is whatever they write, it's just phenomenal and just immediately makes you want to go, I want that army. Um, anyway. I must admit, with the novels, I've gone the other way. I will only buy a novel now if I'm already collecting that army because Damn. I know what's going to happen. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to buy a novel of an army that I don't have and then end up with that army. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I definitely don't know that feeling. Uh, I wish I was that smart, Jermaine, but uh, I'm not. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll see what comes out at the other end. But uh, yeah. Well, okay, let's talk mechanically about Blackstone Fortress for a second because it seems very cool. It seems like a very fun game um, from what I've seen. I've seen a few people playing it. Um, it. It kind of looks mechanically and just the way the miniatures move around the board and how the missions work, that it looks a little bit like Warhammer Quest. Um, but you've actually played it. Uh, would you agree with that? Um, have you played Warhammer Quest? Tell us a little bit about it. I haven't, unfortunately. Warhammer Quest, I I, I haven't played. Um, but the buddies that I have played Blackstone Fortress with mm-hmm. have pretty much said, yeah, it is, it is Warhammer Quest in 40K. So I'm... I'm I'm going by what they're saying, uh, but gameplay and and mechanics wise, I've played uh, two sessions of it now, mm-hmm. and I'm in love with the stuff. I think it's very very cool. It's 
it's one of those games where you can get some buddies around on a Friday night. Everyone's just finished work, uh, crack open a couple of drinks and just roll some dice and not have to overthink things. Nice. So you have, so you have your characters. Um, so it's unique with this, right? Is, um, you have, there are what five player characters and then there's, um, but there's a selection that you can pick from. So you can pick a class like in Warhammer quest, you would have like the troll slayer and in Blackstone fortress, you can have like the Android. Um, and then there's another person who plays, um, the bad guys, um, or, you know, the, the, the legion of plebs that you need to mow through as you're doing your dungeon crawl. Um, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Depending on how many players you have. So, um, if you want, you can play this game on your own and control absolutely everything. Or if you are playing with two players, you control. So you always take four explorers. If you're playing with two players, you take uh, two explorers each. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a leader token similar to our activation token in Gaslands um, where you pass it around every turn. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the leader actually rolls on the chart for the bad guys. Okay. And then if you've got, uh, if you've got three players, um, you, pick a, uh, you pick an explorer each. Uh, and then the fourth explorer gets passed around with the leader token as well, as mm-hmm. well as being the bad guy. If you've got four players, that's the, I, I think that's the magic number where you're going to have one explorer each and then the leader token gets passed around and that's who activates the bad guys. Mm-hmm. If you have five and you wanted to bump up the challenge a little bit, everyone picks an explorer each and person number five becomes the bad guys. Got it. Now, yeah. uh, have you seen that particular iteration with five players? No, no. I, I really want to get that happening because I think the person controlling the bad guys, I think the difficulty of the game would bump up dramatically. Yeah, oh, each, yeah. Each encounter would now become very much life and death uh, in, in terms of your character, mm-hmm. especially if player number five is – Everyone's got that one person in the group that is just ultra clever and just seems to seems to be on another level in terms of mm-hmm. you know in terms of they're just they're one of those rare savants that that come along and they can look at things and be like okay that's going to work with this that's going to work with that and done yeah right yeah I think if that player is controlling the bad guys it's going to be a tough campaign oh, I love that well it, it reminds me of um, there's a a version of Axis and Allies, and I'm trying to think, uh, Eastern Front or Axis and Allies, I think it's called Eastern Front, and it's basically, oh, or maybe Europe, and it was the Germans versus everyone else um, in just this one set game. And the Germans dominate early on, but the way the game's designed, um, just like in the real war, eventually, uh, you know, they're overcome by the Allied, depending, but it means you have to be hyper-aggressive if you're the Germans the first time. Uh, when you're playing, you try and finish early because otherwise you just get ground out. And um, my friends and I played that a couple times and without fail, um, like all good games of access and allies or things like that. It ended up after, you know, several tasty beverages and many hours later doing, uh, as my friend Rob would say, doing the man dance on the front lawn, you know, people wrestling because they're so ticked off at one another. Um, And it just makes me wonder, like, I mean, albeit Axis and Allies really is a game where people end up fighting halfway through like Monopoly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Monopoly, the game that creates divorce. Um, but if you, 
I wonder if that's how Blackstone Fortress would play if you had the the one person versus everyone else. I think you'd have to be careful of that dynamic. Um, he's <laughs> someone would... who ne- needs to be able to be mature enough to be like, I'm playing the bad guys, everyone versus me, and then laugh about it afterward. You would you would have to be selective in terms of who becomes player number five. Right. Um, in my gaming group, I kind of know who I would like to elect as player <laughs> number five because I know how much fun he would have with it. Yeah. Uh, and that's my good friend, Tommy. Uh, he would be phenomenal as player number five because yeah. uh, ruining someone's plans in Wargaming is, is, <laughs> would be something that Tommy would, would revel in, I think, uh, and have really, really good humor about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, in terms of you're not going to want to, you know, take it outside uh, afterwards based on his decisions on the tabletop. Uh, I think that would be a bit of fun. Right on. Yeah, man, definitely. Yeah, it just just having that good mentality about things. Um, you and I have been playing a lot of Gaslands and we've been getting together with a group in Melbourne and it's just, it's really nice to be playing in a group where everyone has that same sort of mentality. Well, it's, let's have some fun. Let's have a good time. Let's push some things around. Are people playing to win? Yes. But are they playing to win? And I guess this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Um, where you're playing a game with a good with a good spirit, so to speak. Um, yeah. Not that you aren't playing to win, and that isn't important. Clearly, we're playing these games, and that's what you typically want to do. Uh, but by the same token, you also—it's it, not a hyper competitive when at all costs kind of environment. Um, what do yeah. you? Yeah, go ahead. For me, the way I look at it is, you know, like as you said, we are playing these games to win. You know, that's 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 why we are we are playing, but. My my wanting to win is never going to impede on me giving my opponent a good play experience. Right. It's never – I'm never going to trade one for the other. If you're asking me to trade one for the other, then I'll lose every day of the week. I don't mind. Yeah, um, exactly, right? I'm. That's not what I'm there for. Yes, I'm there, you know, to hopefully win a game because when I don't, my eight-year-old daughter gives me relentless stick about it. Um. Whenever I do go to a tournament, her first question is, did you lose today? So I do like to win to, mm-hmm. to keep her. But, yeah, again, it's never going to come at the cost of, of my opponent not having a good time. Yeah. Yeah, the last time I played a game and really cared about the outcome and um, got, you know, not happy about not winning – um, I literally, and this was years ago, I'm not talking about now or anything else. Um, I literally quit bolt action for six months afterward, after yeah. one game and was like, I'm taking this way too seriously. Uh, I am not enjoying this, nor am I giving my opponent a good game. I know I made my opponent miserable. I know I made myself miserable. No, this is no. And pulled the plug on it completely and went to something I completely sucked at. Um, and knew that I sucked at and was happy sucking at because it meant that, you know, it took all of that competition out. And now is competition a bad thing? Definitely not. As you say, you want to win. Um, but it's about, you know, as you say, positive play experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and as you said, the, the little gaming group that we've got with Gaslands, everyone's like-minded. Everyone's there for, um, I, you know, we are playing with Hot Wheels cars. I, I, I don't think we can be too serious right. about it. I think, I think if you're going to get up in arms uh, over a game and then you look down and you, oh, I've bought $2 Hot Wheels cars. I, yep. I, I can't get too upset. And uh, Gaslands, wow, another game that I'm absolutely in love with. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it does come down to that, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about Warhammer 40,000, where you can literally spend thousands of dollars, and I've spent thousands of dollars on an army, and I know you have too. Um, yeah. At the end of that, like, you don't want to spend all that money and all that time and all the effort of putting together and painting this and going through the whole thing to be tabled in one turn. Like, that sucks. But to, to have gone, you know, to the grocery store to buy some milk, and gone, yeah. ah, Batmobile, I'll pick that up, yoink, um, just stick a minigun on it, paint it uh, in an evening, and then put it on a tabletop and have it, you know, crang into a wall two, you know, two turns later because you <laughs> accidentally rolled too many slides um, after yep, you've yep. already pushed it. Am I going to lose sleep over that or cry over spilled milk? No, I'm going to laugh and go, okay, whoops, Gaslands yep. happened. Um, yeah, that's right. And I, yeah, I mean, I wonder if the amount of money and the amount of time that you put into your armies, if there's a relational correlation between hmm, com competition. I, I don't know. I think it also comes down to people's I, perceptions and the scene. Yeah, look, I, I think as well. I remember early days when I first, you know, obviously my first thought, my first venture into wargaming was 40K, much like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um not knowing anything about the game, I picked up Blood Angels because I like the color red mm -hmm. and I faced vampires and went thumbs up. Yeah, that's me. So this is back in, I believe it was, we we're going from sixth to seventh ed mm -hmm. and Blood Angels weren't very good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was spending a lot of, well, back then, a lot of what I thought was time and effort um, into these horribly painted models. But back then I was, I was quite proud of these. And but they were, you know, were at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I would, for me, I would get disheartened and be really bummed out because I've spent a lot of time with these models and I'm now playing an Eldar army and I'm literally just putting them on and then taking them off. They're right. going from one end of the table to the other. And I remember for me that being a negative experience, not because the Eldar player was a bad experience, right. but a bad experience because I've, I've, I've painted these, mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time with it, and they've been on the table for 15 minutes. Yeah, uh, and then getting getting quite upset just on that, you know, and not sort of knowing who to be upset at. Right, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So I think no, I think you're onto something. I, I I think there's definitely a relationship there between the two, um, for sure. Uh, you know, when someone spent time and effort converting and painting, and then um, gets blasted off the table by Fortnite Titans, mm -hmm. I, I don't think you know, be very happy. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, it's not just 40K that suffers from that either, but I think that's why we as sort of mature gamers, I, I don't know if I'd ever use the word mature to describe myself, but... Um, <laughs> that's 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 not often a description that yeah. gets put in the name. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's one of the things I look for in a game. And it's, I mean, when you play as many games as you and I play, and other people play as well. I mean, it's not just saying that you and I, but you, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you play a lot of games, the you know, it's easier to look at a game and go, you know, that looks like fun, and people playing it um, seem to be having a good time with it. But you know, there's a mechanic in there, or there's a couple of mechanics in there that I'm just not into. Um, and you you might even try it a couple times and go, nah, I'm not sure, um, because you know, it, it might maybe unbalance the game or it might lead to gameplay experiences that are very swingy. Now I've heard a lot of people tell me that age of Sigmar can be swingy. Um, but 
at the end of the day, I think you can still have a fun, fair game of it. And people seem to be coming at the game like that. Um, whereas um, I hear casual 40K is sensational. I hear it's the best edition for that since third or second or whatever edition you romantically look back at. Um, but for competitive play, um, and you know, if you're going to get a game at a game shop of it, you're probably going to end up, there's a, you know, a good chance you're going to end up against a competitive 40 K player. I- I'm not into that because you're just going to get, you know, tabled raffle stomped by the, the, yeah. the Titans. And, you know, you, when you, when you're short on time, you go to, you play in events because there are three organized games or six organized games that you can guarantee get. That's why I like to go to events, the social atmosphere, yeah. the guaranteed games, not interrupted. It's, it's great. But, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. Um Yeah, yeah, I I must admit for me, I'm I'm very blessed in terms of the guys that I game with mm. are all relatively close. Um uh close in terms of proximity. Mm. So me going to events, um I'll go to events because the rest of the fellas are going to the events. Right. Um because game wise, like uh, I played a game Friday, Saturday night, uh, and then one during the day yesterday. So getting games with with the fellas here um, is not is not hard uh, for me. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, you know, when you when you talk about um, you know going to a tournament and then having uh, going up against a really hard list. Um, when I was talking to my buddy Jaden yesterday, we were saying. You know, once we get our armies up to two thousand points, is when we'll start buying our armies, kind of big bad things. So mm-hmm. for the Stormcast, it's the it's the, it's the Star Drake, um, or it's the Lord Arcanum on the Turalon, I want to say. Um, yeah. Then same thing with Jaden. He's running the Sylvaneth, and he's going to buy Illyrial when we're up to that, as yeah. opposed to I'll buy Illyrial now while Jermaine doesn't have his big bad thing. And I'm going to stomp his face in. So I think, right. think you know, especially when you're with your buddies, you know, you are venturing into that almost like a social contract where you're agreeing, hey, this is what I'm going to take. Can you take something that is thereabouts? Yeah. And again, it's, it, well, it's that social contract, as you said. It's, um, I mean, when the LRDG was running, we sort of ran a, we were constantly looking to play you know, bolt action at the cutting edge. And so it was this closed circuit arms race between the four of us. And we were constantly (laughs) trying to come up with the new best thing. And it wasn't that we were necessarily trying to ruin anyone else's day. We were trying to put the game through its paces. We were, you know, spending a lot of time and effort podcasting about it, really, you know, passionate about the game. Um, But then, you know, when we actually got to, you know, events like Moab or CanCon, uh, at times it was a little bit like sharks in a tank because, you know, we'd, we'd hyper tuned our list and we'd gone at, you know, but it was perfectly normal. And we hadn't really looked at it that way when we were playing. But the second, you know, you get dropped in an environment where people haven't been doing that, um, boy, do you figure it out fast. <laughs> and I'm not to sure. say that we were great players or anything else, but, um, you know, the TO at the time looked at our list and were like, uh, I'm not sure about this. Um, because no one else was listing necessarily like that, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, um, but I, I think to have that, you know, to have, to have that sort of agreement with your friends and you're playing and saying, look, let's all play this reasonably, um, and sort of figure it out together. 
uh, as long as you're consistent within your group, but be aware that once that <laughs> your group is released in the wild, different things happen. Um, I guess oh, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 110%. You know, we've, we've got no illusions in terms of, you know, I, I think this year we want to enter in a couple of AOS tournaments. Um, specifically one, we had a lot of fun with in house of war last year, which was a doubles event. Nice. So you took a thousand points each, which that was really, that was really a lot of fun. Um, and Sounds it's, cool. it's one of those tournaments, which, which I had painted my Stormcast kind of just for the tournament. And then after I played the tournament, it actually inspired me to keep wanting to, to, to mm-hmm. paint more. So it was one of those great sort of energizing tournaments. And, um, yeah, we, we, we saw some, we saw some lists that weren't, weren't too friendly, mm-hmm. but again, uh, the lists weren't too friendly. Um, but the guys across the table, super friendly. There you go. So that, that more than made up for it. Um, you know, we saw some great lists with some with some really some really hardcore stuff. But uh, everyone that I played anyway on the day um, were great across the table. All smiles, laughs, and and uh, no hurt feelings. So, yeah, yeah, I think I think having a list is is definitely one component. But also the the way that you interact with your opponent yeah. with the said lists, I, I, I think makes a lot of difference too. Agreed. Yeah, if you're going to take a hard list and there is no giggles and there is no smiles and there's, you know, uh, not not even a handshake to begin with, um, that's going to be a tough game. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be a tough game. Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, agreed, agreed. Uh, I think, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'd agree. I think you really do need to maintain. I mean, not everyone is... Um, gregarious or outgoing or, you know, big as Ben-Hur across the table. Um, so you need to be aware of, you know, the person you're playing against and sort of dial it in. But I think both of you need to do that to sort of find that happy middle ground so that both people feel comfortable with the game that's being played, if that makes sense. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think, I, I think a lot of emphasis is definitely put on, um, you know, like each player wanting to be, nice and friendly but i also think uh, something we don't sort of talk about is you as an opponent being accommodating right um and 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 that works both ways as well you know i don't mind if we are playing a game and you know there's a bit of a take backsy mm-hmm. that's not really going to affect what we're doing moving forward but it's just something that you've kind of forgotten so i think you know not only being nice and friendly and and, and all that kind of stuff that we should be in our day-to-day lives anyway but I think as a player being accommodating um, to each other and definitely each other's quirks. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that I'm. I'm quote unquote normal. So, you know, being accommodating of each other's quirks and yeah. and play styles and each other, I think, is a big part of it as well. And once you get that happy medium, that's that's the secret ingredient to just having a lot of fun. Agreed. Could not have said it better, man. Um, I likewise have never been accused of being normal, but um, I, I had a game of Gaslands fairly recently, um, and um, I was concerned at the end that my opponent wasn't necessarily having a good time, and that really yep. bothered me, given that it's Gaslands, and you know, yes. not that I don't yep. play again to play play to win. I take it seriously, but I don't take it <laughs> that seriously. I wanted, you know, it, it's fun <laughs> for me, and so I was going. Yes. Uh, what happened in that situation? I was lucky enough to run into that guy on the street. Um, 
Otherwise, I was going to look him up on social media and have a chat. And he explained where he was at, and I explained where I was at. And it was a simple, oh, that makes perfect sense now. Um, and he had no f- hard feelings, and I didn't either. I was just concerned that, you know, that I hadn't created a negative play experience for him. And he's like, no, nope, not at all. Cool. This is what was going yeah. on. Um, and But I didn't know that about him, and he didn't know things about me. And so by having that two-second chat, was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. And then we're like, hey, next time we're, let's play again. Um, and it's yes. understanding that, you know, but, you know, if we had maybe tried to communicate those things across the tabletop, um, you know, maybe that would have worked well. Maybe it was better that we waited till later. Um, I'm just happy that we did. Um, but I, I don't think we should be afraid to talk to people and say, look, you know what? I don't know if this is working for me. Um, yeah. Yep. I mean, do it, do it in a positive, constructive way. I mean, I can't think of someone and I know in the past I've, I've been the guy on the soapbox preaching on about how you need to play and how you need to build an army. But I think maybe it's where I'm at as a gamer. It's, it's, I don't think there are very many people out there who go out there to ruin people's day. In fact, I can't, I can think of maybe one. Um, in all my years of wargaming, who really go out there to like make someone miserable and is proud of that yeah. fact. But um, if if you just turn, if you, I mean, go with the old golden rule that I have on the wall of my classroom. Would you like it if they did that to you? Um, treat other people like you want to be treated yourself. Um, but not everyone wants to be treated the same way. So as you say, if something isn't working for you, just communicate that. Um, I was listening to an Age of Sigmar podcast, um, The Rage of Sigmar, which I, I quite like, even though they have a New Yorker uh, on the show. Um, that is an intentional slight. But uh, they were talking <laughs> about how one of the guys um, was at an event and was tanked and, um, you know, likes to drink, likes to play social Age of Sigmar, having a great time. Um, and it was the his I think it was the third game in his first day of the event. And he'd been drinking whiskey all day. And he admits he was, you know, Big, loud, brash, doing the whole big thing. And his opponent's like, look, I'm having a great time. You're at an 11. I need you to bring it to about a 7. And he was like, oh, okay. And he did, and they had a great game. And it was, he didn't feel bad about it. He was like, oh, that's what you need to have a a positive game experience right now. You're feeling like I'm coming at you a little too big. Um, Let's talk about that. And I think that that really being clear about what's happening on the tabletop, but also clear with the way you're interacting with other people. Um, I think that really is really makes for a better game. I think so. And and I think sometimes too, we have to realize that the, the person sitting across the table, they might not always mean to come across the way they're coming across. Right. You know, they might just be really excited because this theory or this way they've decided to play and, and hypothesize, like it's, it's working. Yeah, so they might be really excited at the mm-hmm. fact that this this trick play that I thought wasn't going to work is working, and I'm really excited. And they might lose the fact that there's another person sitting across from the table that it's mm-hmm. great that your plan has worked, but I've now got to take half my stuff off the board. Yeah. So I think also being accommodating of that and understanding, look, I think he's excited. Exactly. Is another way of looking at it as well. You know, I did have a buddy that, uh, for a little bit, um, maybe rubbed m- myself and a few of us the wrong way. And it was literally just because he was excited. And yeah. once we had had the conversation and say, hey, dude, we know you get excited over X, X, and X. Mm-hmm. But remember, we're sitting across the table and this is happening to us. And yeah. 
once he got that, he's like, wow, I'm really sorry. You know, none of that was intentional. He couldn't stop apologizing because it's not in his nature to be a bad yeah. person. Right. So as you said, I think once you have that conversation in a constructive manner, mm-hmm. everyone, awesome for everyone. Agreed. Agreed. Could not agree more. And again, I, just thinking of, um, you know, if you play an army long enough um, and you kind of know what it does, and occasionally there's just that moment where the dice roll hot or something happens and it's something that your army never does and you go, wow, look what that just <laughs> happened. Like, that's really exciting yes. and it's a lot of fun. But as you say, it's important to remember the other person across the table when they're looking at you going, um, that's, that's, you, they may either think your army's, you know, a little o- over the top or, um, you know, <laughs> nobody likes it when, you know, the dice completely drop out on you. You play enough bolt action in games like bolt action and Gaslands, and you're like, oh yeah, that happens. Um, in fact, the old saying of bolt action happens, uh, I've been applying quite a lot to Gaslands happening and like, oh yeah, Gaslands happens. Oh, yeah. Wrecked into a wall. Oh, you blew up. Oh, you blew up the two cars behind you. Cool. Gas lines yep. happened. And you go, all right, well, you know. Yeah, well, well gas lines has that fantastic rule at the start where it's the rule of carnage. That's right. That's if, you, right. If, if there's ever, if there's any um, question about a rule, whatever is going to cause the most carnage and the most destruction is the rule that you go with, folks. So oh, that's, uh, it. I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's such a cool rule, and I wish more games had <laughs> stuff like that because it really does clear up so many rules disputes before you even go anywhere. Anyway, uh, Jermaine, I am sorry to say I have got to kind of roll. Um, it has been a total pleasure having you on today, sir. Uh, my friend, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure. Oh, man. It is, um, is, is someone who I have had the pleasure of playing a few times uh, and who I've heard talked about many times. It is, uh, is wonderful to pick up a mic and talk shop. Um, dear listeners, I know that uh, Jermaine and I were sort of talking about a number of things today that kind of tie back to things that we talked about previously or that you know we feel. Um, if you have um, some sort of uh, reaction to something that we've said today um, or you'd like to add to... Uh, what we've said. I will be sharing this uh, episode through the Cast Dice Facebook page. Please comment. Please comment on there or message me directly through the Cast Dice. That is C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you type that into Facebook, you'll find the page. Um, Message it directly. You will get me and uh, we can talk about that. Uh, For those who do love the Twitters and think that Facebook is for old people, um, yes, AOS listeners, I am talking to you. Uh, You can find us under Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Actually, I think it's Cast Dice 1. Um, I think for some reason someone may have Cast Dice as a Twitter handle already. Uh, But you will know um, the Cast Dice, it is the the quote-unquote real Cast Dice by the... um, the 3D image of the Boba Fett with the cast dice logo. Um, You know what I'm talking about when you see the dice head with the Boba Fett little uh, antenna coming off the top. But um, if, again, you can find us, uh, please contact. We do love to hear from you. Um, Now, I am going to be kind of on the road the next couple of weeks. I am hoping to put out another episode um, to keep up with the regular rotation. If that is not possible, though, it may be a couple of weeks till I am back. Um, I know this episode's been a little 
rambly as far as subjects, but there's a ton of things I really wanted to talk about, and Jermaine's been nice enough to come on to talk about them. So thank you, Jermaine, again. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, I think it is about that time. So as you are playing the games uh, that you are loving and that you are putting on the tabletops and enjoying with the people around you, as always, I hope that your dice roll hot, your beverages are cold, but more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. Good night.